Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Got Mental Health podcast. In this episode, we interview the very brave and courageous Jason Reed. Jason vulnerably and openly talks about his story of losing his 14-year-old son to suicide. I wanted to warn you that if you are sensitive to this topic of suicide, please take proper measures to support yourself by speaking to a friend, to your therapist, or to a mental health professional. If you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please call 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Got Mental Health Podcast. I am your co-host, Rachel Cove. I am a multi-passionate entrepreneur, author, artist, mother, and certified recovery coach. I'm your co-host, Arthur Mogilevsky, entrepreneur, girl dad, animal activist, and owner of AM Healthcare, a premier substance abuse and mental health treatment program. With the collective experience of 21 years working in the mental health field, we are excited to bring to you a safe and fun place to talk all things mental health. We will be interviewing experts, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and professionals in the entertainment industry to better educate, inform, and inspire our community to have positive mental well, welcome everyone to the Got Mental Health podcast. I am your co-host Rachel Cove, along with my co-host Arthur Mogul. What's your Mogulevsky, Rachel. Mogul- Let's get it right. Mogulevsky. Uh, we are here <laughs> in the studio and on Zoom with Jason Reed. Jason is a partner at CEO International, where he coaches CEOs on how to be successful. He co-founded National Services Group, which employs 2,500 people across three brands nationwide. He is a leader, entrepreneur, and family man. Following the suicide of his 14-year-old son in 2018, Jason started the foundation Tell My Story, a nonprofit organization built to educate and empower parents by sharing the best and latest resources they need to identify and understand how to support their children's mental health struggles. The foundation also helps generate awareness through powerful media projects that compels parents and kids to share their stories. Jason has shared his experience in two TED Talks, the documentary film Tell My Story, and Tell My Story's other educational program. He has a new document he has a new documentary that is coming out called What I Wish My Parents Knew. And I am very honored to have you on this show today, Jason, and I appreciate everything that you're gonna talk about. And first, I just want to have the listeners hear what you've gone through and how you started the documentary, Tell My Story, and what I wish my parents knew. Well, Arthur, Rachel, thank you for having me on your show today. I think um, I appreciate what you both are doing. Uh, We need more and more people talking about the mental health of our kids and our friends and our spouses and our brothers and sisters and cousins and all that, because um, we just don't do enough of it. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, I can tell you that, you know, without going too deeply into my story, but I'll go, I'll go as deep as you want me to go, but um, I don't have any secrets, but essentially it was five years ago this March and uh, we lost our son, Ryan. He was, had just turned 14 um, literally 10 days before. And we were on a vacation and he sent us a text saying goodbye. Uh, We didn't see any of it coming. Didn't see any of it coming. I didn't think mental health is not a conversation we had around our house because we didn't think we needed to. Uh, We we assumed that was probably something other people had to deal with, you know, people from 
tough families or bad backgrounds or maybe divorced families that have really bad divorces or things like that, but we were none of those things. And the reality is that um, Ryan was hurting and Ryan was suffering and Ryan wanted out. And we didn't know. Now, as you look, as we look back, there was, there were signs, um, you know, he had been become more withdrawn. He had become less interested in school, less, less interest in his friends, more grumpy. Um, we, a lot of those things we contributed to being a teenager and a grumpy teenager because he was the youngest of four kids and candidly, we thought he was the least grumpy of the four, but he was hiding it really well and dealing with it in his own way. So that's where I, how I got here. Um, this is the last place I would ever thought I would have been. If you would look back five years ago today, um, thought my life was great. Kids were awesome. Kim and I were celebrating her birthday, you know, going down to Mexico, celebrate her birthday, talking about what happens when all the kids are out of school and what are we going to do next, next part of our life is we were heading into that part. Um, then things took the turn they took. So does that kind of, does that help you get where the background story? It absolutely helps. And I have such empathy for what you've gone through and no parent should have to be going through that. And I also just want to say how much I admire how you've responded to this Yeah, because I don't, I, I won't pretend to know what you've gone through, but you are responding to this in a way to help protect other children. You're responding this, you're responding to this by creating a platform for other parents and school facilitators to help their, their students and their kids and to give them as much information on a very, very heavy subject that I think people don't know how to talk about. Mm. And that's what I loved about your documentary, uh, what my uh, what I wish my parents knew. From the second I turned it on, I was I, I dropped into this moment of holy shit, this is so real. When I see an eight year old girl talking about wanting to end her life and wrap a seatbelt around her neck. Yeah. Well, we should, um, you know. We should probably put a trigger warning on this for anyone who might feel like oh, they might be triggered by anything we that we have to say today. Yeah, and I think that it, that's part of the reason, though, I think people don't necessarily know how to have these conversations, right, is because mm. part of us don't want to trigger other people. I think I grew up in, in a home where parents were afraid to talk about things that they went through growing up because they didn't want to bring awareness to their kids thinking their kids would do something like that. So, um, well, let me take you back a little bit more into after and how we got to where we are today with this whole journey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after Ryan passed, I, I guess you can do a couple of different things, right? You can, you know, you can run and hide. You can try to hunker down and take care of yourself, which I completely respect. Um, or you can try and make a difference and it's, there's no right path. I just chose to do what I'm going to do. And I wanted to go make a difference right away. And it's kind of interesting. My, my original foray into this was 
I, I sat down the day I got back from the hospital after we you know, let Ryan pass and took him off life support and said, I want to start a foundation and I want, and what would I want Ryan to do or people? And I said, I want him to choose life over death. And chooselife.org was actually available. And it was like 10,000 bucks. And I'm like, well, that's a lot of money, but that's kind of what I, yeah. fine, I'll just go spend that, right? Didn't, I had no idea that that was the original anti-abortion site, which is why it was oh $10,000. So right now, if you go to chooselife.org, you'll see the original starting of my of my journey where, you know, the, the first couple of TEDx talks and a bunch of what we were doing was was posted. And when I started, I, I, I'm like, I'm a business guy. I've built businesses across the country. It's what I do. It's what I understand. And and I'm used to solving problems. So I'm, I was very arrogant. And I said, you know, I'm going to solve this problem because nobody else can solve it. We're in the worst spot we've ever been. And it's probably the fault of the people who are trying to fix it. And I said, so I'm going to set this goal over an end teen suicide by the year 2030. And that was plastered all over my website for a couple of years. And as I went to speak to people, I'm like, well, this is what we're going to go do. And and I had a plan, right? Because it, it, it's and it still works, right? If you could fix the medical system, and you could fix the school system, and you could fix social media, and you could fix parents, and you could fix all the kids, we won't have a suicide problem. <laughs> Sounds pretty easy. It's it's simple. I just, it was just a five point plan. Yeah. Um, and I was very angry and very arrogant. And as I spent more and more time in the space, I realized that there's a lot of amazing people that are working in this space every day trying to make a difference. And it's just such an insurmountable problem. Then COVID happened and it got better for a very short three to six month period as people weren't in school and they were at home with their families and going, this is kind of cool. And then the wheels fell off. Mm. Right. And then things got terribly wrong. And now we're sitting in the worst mental health crisis we've had in the history of the world. Yep. And I sat back and said, okay, what do I want to go do and where do I want to play? And, Tell my story. The movie came out um, middle of COVID. We were going to have a real theater launch and all that kind of stuff. Well, that didn't happen. Um, and you know, it came out, and we and it's been on a bunch of streaming services on Amazon Prime and Apple, all the usual stuff. And and it's a film that I I was very proud of what we did. We and and parents and kids can watch that film and feel like they they learned something from it about how to talk to their kids, how to understand what's going on, how to understand mental health. So I was very proud of that film. And then I said, I said, well, what else should I be doing? And maybe I should do, maybe I've done enough, right? I've done a couple of TEDx talks. I've done this the movie. I've done Goldcast. I've done, I speak. Maybe I should just go enjoy my, the rest of my life. I've done my piece. And I, and I kept following this calling. And I think there's a, a difference between a calling, you know, well, a calling is something you can't avoid. Mm. Like it's going to come back to you no matter what. Right. So mm. my calling was to make a bigger difference in the space. And that's where we came to our new movie and our new program, tell my, um, tell, the tell my story.org website and uh, what I wish my parents knew. So essentially where we have landed myself and my team at this point is realizing that I can't change the world. I'm not going to change. And I've had, you know, I talked to a lot of people in the space on a weekly basis and a lot of high level people making a lot of doing a lot of amazing things. Um, but I am personally not going to change the healthcare system. Mm. It's not outside of my scope. I'm not going to change the government. I'm not going to be able to one deciding where the funding goes to. I'm not going to be able to take the big nonprofits in the space and direct them where I think they should go. I'm not going to fix the school system. 
I'm one guy. So what can I do? And here's what I've landed on that I can do. My belief is very simple. There are not enough therapists. There are not enough psychologists. There are not enough psychiatrists. There are not enough doctors. There are not enough hospitals, inpatient facilities for all the kids that have mental health issues, for all the people that do. There's just not enough of us. There's a complete shortage. So if we really want to make a difference and save our kids and save ourselves, we have to own our kids' mental health the way we own our kids' physical health, mm-hmm. which means that we have to actually say, I'm going to take charge of my kids, and I'm going to not just pass them off to a therapist who may or may not be any good. Because there's a lot of amazing therapists, but like in any part of the world, there's A, B, and C players. I was actually we just going to say that. Yeah. We don't have access to the A players, right? And it's not a money issue. We just don't all have access to the A players. So my belief is that parents need to own their kids' mental health, and we have to help each other. So our new film, What I Wish My Parents Knew, is essentially a school program that I interviewed, uh, gosh, it was about eight or nine kids in Las Vegas back in the summertime about their mental health. Because the most compelling thing about Tell My Story wasn't me or the doctors or anything else. It was the kids like Rachel was saying. Right. So this film is all about, you hear the kids talking about their mental health. And if I could take kids and put them on a bus and put them or a plane and put them around at different schools around the country, it would be those kids, right? But I can't do that. So we filmed this in a very raw green screen studio environment. You're not cutting away to kids in the park or the space needle like you see and tell my story. Yeah. This is just kids talking about their mental health. And the idea here is as a parent, we put this into school as a school program. And you're going to sit in the audience and you go, holy cow, that might be my kid. And I see that in my kid, or I see that in my cousin, or I see that in my nephew. I see that in my spouse. And then you watch 45 minutes of this, and it's, and it's, and you guys have seen it. It's, it grabs you and you're like, holy cow. And then we have a mental health professional come in for the last 45 minutes and talk about what you just saw. And we direct you over to tellmystory.org, the website where we have mental health tools. There's an online assessment done by Connected Minds that we licensed uh, to be able to help you with, you figure out exactly what might be going on. We have a whole bunch of different vetted partners where you can learn more about mental health of your kids, how to take care of your kids and your spouses and your friends and everything else. And that's the program we have. And we launched that in January. It's going to schools now. If you go to tellmystory.org, you can click around on the, on the, on the, on the program links and someone can help you put that in your school. But that's what I'm doing now. Like that's when you ask me like, what am I doing? What's my mission? I want that in 500 schools this year um, to start in over a thousand next year. And I've got a whole team of people are putting that together because that's what I believe. I believe that if we can have parents understand that they don't need, they need therapists. We do need psychologists, but they can be that for their kids. Mm. They have to take ownership of that for their families. But I've been babbling a lot, guys. I'm sorry. No, you're no, perfect. I, Thank I'm, you. I'm just, there's so many questions. Uh, and um, and I appreciate you uh, really kind of going through the trajectory of, of your passion and how it's being developed. Um, and like you said earlier, it is a calling. And once you find that calling, it's really hard to move on and give it up. So I yeah. appreciate you listening to yourself and your soul and moving forward with that. Um, 
I think the first question that I really, really wanted to ask you, because you're talking about your journey and your process through this, I'm really curious to see how you saw your family's process through this. Cause you're, you're solution orientated. You're like, I'm going to fix this problem. And eventually that got you to where you, you are right now, which is great. What, what was that like for your family, for your wife and uh, for your other kids? I mean, what, what was your, vi- well, what was your sight in that process? Well, I would say everybody grieves differently, right? Um, the journey I went on caused rifts in my family. Um, my wife's very private. She doesn't talk about this publicly. I do. My daughter was less than happy with me as I went down this path. And the boys would probably wish I didn't do it either. But the reality is, while I appreciate where they're at, there are too many lives at stake for me not to go do what I did. Mm. And so you fast forward, it's five years now, and we're good. We're good. But we all grieve differently. Mm. And still do, because it doesn't really go away. I think it's important for people to hear that what you just said is that we all do grieve differently and appreciating and respecting everyone's own individual process while also honoring your own process and your own needs. And it, it reminds me of something <clears throat> around, especially around that each of everyone has a need to have attention around what they're going through. Right. And mm-hmm. there's, there's something that was brought up in the, in the documentary uh, that I, 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 I found was, throughout the documentary of what I wish my parents knew. And it was a young girl that said, and I want to say it was, it was the young eight year old. And she said, I was afraid something along the lines of, I was afraid to be perceived as someone who was just seeking attention with how I was Mm -hmm. feeling. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about that because I think a lot of kids feel that way. I also think a lot of parents say things like that. Oh, he's just doing that for attention. Mm. Oh, she's just saying yeah. that for attention. And I always respond to that in, in pe- to people when they say that, okay, so maybe they need attention. What in them needs attention? Well, and it, like in, in the Tell My Story documentary, you went to a meeting in Seattle um, and they were talking about that, right? Where kids, especially teenagers, that were, were defining it as, uh, well, they're just going through their teen years. They're, they're, it's the hormones. It's, it's like, and then some, I, I apologize, I didn't catch the name of the individual who said it. It's like, maybe it's more than just hormones or they're just going through it as teens. It, it's much deeper than that. And parents need to be more in tune with what's going on and ask deeper, more uh, intimate questions. So I, I think it's a really tricky thing, and I and I wrestle with it to be completely honest a lot as I talk to more and more parents. Mm. Because why, why is that? And this won't be popular, but I'm going to say it anyway because I see it all the time. Um, sometimes people do, sometimes just want to get attention, and they'll use it to their advantage. Mm. But if you truly know your kids, if you really truly spend the time talking to your kids 
then you'll know if that is something they're using to manipulate a situation or if they really are in a bad spot. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a really simple question, a way to look at this. I had a friend who her daughter broke up with a, girl, with a boyfriend and she was chose not to eat and chose not to drink water and felt like she was just, you know, and she was in a bad spot. I get it. She was in a very bad spot. And she called me up and said, well, she's not, she won't drink water. And I think I need to talk, take her to the hospital. I said, you might. I said, what's she doing right now? She said, well, she's sitting on the couch on her phone. Okay. I said, have you tried saying that she can't have her phone unless she has water? I haven't done that yet. Well, why don't you try that first if you, need, before you, if you really need to take her to the hospital? Like, and, you know, great. She drank water, but she wanted to keep her phone. Right. So it's to say that it's, I think there's, we can sometimes go really, really far to every act means that I, there's a mental health issue. Sure. And it's not true. Sometimes kids are just grumpy and sometimes kids are really seriously in trouble, but that's why we have to have clear communication with our kids and be able to look at them in the eye and say, is this for real or is your, or, or you, you can't play games with me about this issue. Like what's really going on in your head? Like, that's the that's the challenging thing I think as parents that a lot of parents are missing. It's like they either ignore it completely and act like, well, that's just all they're just making this up. There's nothing to that. Right. Or they go so far in the end that everything's a mental health issue when not everything's a mental health issue. Right. As okay. opposed to let's have a conversation and see where, where the real part is. I love Does that, that makes you said sense? that. Yeah, I love that you said that. That's so true because you're right. Everything either these days swings too far right, too far left, too, you know, but there's nothing really in the middle. And you're right. Every case is different. I think the... the and you don't want to screw up, right? As right. parents, you oh, don't want yeah. to... Parents are like, man, I talk to parents, they're just <laughs> panicked. They're completely panicked right now because they're like, yeah. I'm afraid my kid's going to kill himself. I'm like, well, what happened? Well, they didn't do their homework. I told them to do their homework. They said they're going to kill themselves. I'm like, well... Let's talk a little bit more before you say yes. Don't don't do your homework. You know, and, and it's it's speaking as a parent and 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 Rachel, I'm sure you know. Even being in the field and in the industry, right, working in the space of mental health, understanding suicide, understanding the process of suicide and um, mental health in general, it's like even even in that space, I still have my fears and my doubts and like things I need to be aware of and watch out for, uh, even knowing it. So it's not an easy thing. Like I, I want to get it out there. Like this isn't no, like, like you, you, you have a handbook no. that's given to you and encoded into you, like in the matrix of how to be the best parent possible. Like nobody knows. Right. And then we're all winging it for the most part. Um, but I think that, and I really want you to go into that and from your experience and learning, the biggest thing and the takeaway that I got from your film, uh, Tell My Story, was that the best way to really connect with a child is for the parent to be honest and vulnerable. And it, it, and it, it's not about, well, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing your homework? You're grounded. You know, coming from a punishing place, but being okay with being vulnerable and expressing your own fears and anxieties behind parenting and the and the trials and tribulations of growing up maybe in a strict household and that's why you are the way that you are right just being okay with being open and vulnerable with your kids well let, let me um 
go there, but can I start with something a little different Please. that'll take you there? Absolutely. I've never been depressed, right? I, I don't, I mean, anxious for me is I didn't get to the airport in time. I don't, I've never had those feelings. I don't know what it's really like. So when I'm talking to people like myself, I'm like, you need to understand something like that. If you're looking, you know, I live in Southern California, you guys are in Southern California. So we look outside and except for this year, there's usually not a cloud <laughs> in the sky, right? And, but if I was sitting here with Ryan, that cloudless sky was all full of clouds for Ryan, right? He's only going to see clouds where I see only blue skies. And there's nothing that I can say that's going to change that in Ryan. I can see Ryan, there's not a cloud in the sky. He goes, yes, there is, there. That's all I see is clouds. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any logical sense to someone like me going, there's no clouds, buddy. What are you talking about? In his mind, it's only clouds. I'm not going to change that no matter what I say. Mm -hmm. It's not possible for me to fix that. So the first thing when it comes to parents is like, you have to realize you're not going to fix it. There's nothing to fix. You have to drop fix from your vocabulary because you can't. You're not going to change the way they feel. All you can do is get them to talk about their clouds. Tell me what they look like and why they're there and how do they make you feel and do they ever go away? Are there good clouds and bad clouds? Or are they all bad clouds? Tell me about your clouds and not judge them for what they think those clouds are. It will not make any sense to you. When you have a child tells you that they want to kill themselves if they broke up with their girlfriend and it's the end of the world for them and you're going, dude, you're 15. <laughs> There's lots of girls out there. Or it doesn't matter what you're saying. They don't get it. They don't feel that way. But but you can't, you're not going to change it, right? right? And it's so, I talk to so many parents like, I don't understand. I don't like I talk to really smart parents, as you guys do, who with kids with eating disorders and they go to me, why can't they just eat? I'm like, buddy, it doesn't work that way. Why can't they just put food in their mouth and eat? I there's such an education process that yeah. we have with parents, right? But so then back to what you were saying is that how so how do you get them to talk to you? My my belief is something that I, I didn't do, right? I, I wasn't vulnerable with my kids. I When I showed up, I was you know the guy who built companies and coached CEOs and did Ironmans and I'm a black belt and black, wrote books and blah, 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 all this junk, right? And my kids never saw anything besides me with a smile on my face getting my stuff done. So they never saw the fact that, you know, I've almost been bankrupt three times almost lost the house while we lived there. Um, I've failed at like 16 or 17 companies. I'm probably 20 by now. I can't even remember. Don't really care. Um, I never shared any of that with them. And they never saw me cry. Can I? saw me mad, but never saw me cry, right? Can I interject so, really quickly? Mm -hmm. Because you're so honest and you're so vulnerable, I, I want to ask why what was the fear in sharing that with them? Because I know in the yeah. documentary, what my parents, um, what I wish my parents knew, there was a young man who was speaking to the same thing. And he said, the only, he said he saw his dad, his dad, yeah. his dad go inside after this trauma, go inside and start his affect change. And he said, 
I don't think my mother, I don't think my wife loves me anymore. And then he got up, went to the door, took a deep breath and put a smile on and yep. carried out his duties as a working <laughs> father. And his son shared the impact that that had on him and that he learned that in order for me to be a man that's accepted in this world, I have to suit up, show up, don't cry, don't be vulnerable. Yes. What is the fear of, uh, of showing your vulnerability as a dad? So I would, I mean, there's probably better people more equipped to answer this question than me, but I'll give you my perspective on it, right? My job as a dad was to make sure my family was safe. And that means they had a roof over their head, food in their stomach, all the things they needed. And I kept them from all harms, all the harm in the world, whether it be emotional harm, physical harm, anything. I kept bad crap away from my family. They did not need to know all the stuff I dealt with. My job was to keep it away from them so they could have a wonderful little life. That's where it comes from. Believing that your job as a, when we, I'm 55, we were raised the way we were raised, right? Mm -hmm. Boys don't cry, girls do, and that's all there is to it. And men go to work and women stay at home. And I know that's not how it, how it is now, right? But that's what I grew up in, right? That's like back in the 60s and 70s, that's how it was. So we grew up with this idea we're supposed to protect. We hunt, we protect. That's what we do. We keep our family safe. That means no one knows how we really feel. Mm. Now, you guys are younger, younger generation. You're more sensitive. Some might say you're more soft. I'm not saying that. I'm just joking. No, I think some people would say that. <laughs> well, everyone deserves a fucking trophy, right? Sorry. Yeah, going, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that one either. I, I, I think that we have bubble wrapped our kids way too much too, but... Yeah, um, I was just about to say, the pendulum can swing the complete opposite direction of not showing emotions at all, right? It has. Right. I mean, we, we, we allow people to get upset and cry over the silliest things. Like, I didn't win the trophy. No, you didn't. You lost. That's, you gotta, I mean, if we have not taught resilience to our kids the way we should. Well, what was that gentleman that was in the film? You guys were standing on this scenic view. I, I was more focused on yeah. the lake in the background than the conversation. But, I mean, great choice of... Uh, mm -hmm. Beautiful the, up there. Yeah, really. Where was that, by the way? Oh, that was um, Truckee. Where's that? Northern California. Oh, really? Northern California. Okay. Yeah. Wow, Road so, trip. Like, I mean, yeah. California is so large, you don't even... Like, you could be, <laughs> like, you'd have no idea where you are. No, but he was saying that, like... Parents these days, and that's a question I have for you. Like, what's the com what's the conversation you have with parents, like hovering parents, right? That are constantly trying to protect and and save and like not let the kid feel or fight or get up and and how do you balance that, right? Because at the same time, like you also, if a kid has a broken leg, you're not gonna tell them like get up and fight it off, right? So it's like because I grew up in the Eastern European Russian household where there ain't no emotions, like you're you're just. The, yeah, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. I survived. My parents survived communism, and they didn't have to, you know, deal with uh, Facebook. But yeah, where's the balance in that? How do you have that conversation with parents? Well, and I think that's where it goes into is like it's not a simple thing. This is if I just go talk to my kids, things will be better. It's like, right. what are you talking to your kids about? Right. Like, how what conversations are you having? Are you are you talking about how the real world is? Because in the real world. No, I'm sorry. You failed that class because you didn't do the homework. I'm not going to go talk to your teacher about how you should pass anyway. Right? <laughs> you need to do the work. 
to show up in in the world. Like if I go up, if I go to work and I do my job, I get fired. So will you. Now we have, you know, in, in today's world, you've got parents who call up somebody's boss and says, I can't believe you fired my son. My answer is always, I can't believe you raised them that way. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's so good. Well, especially in California, you got to be super careful. <laughs> like you no, you don't. <laughs> I mean, you, you still have to show up and do your job and show up and, and, and act like a normal part of society. And so what do I tell parents? I'm very careful because you know what? There's nothing worse than being a parent who's afraid for their kids. Nothing worse, right? So you gotta be so super careful. Like when, when I'm talking to a parent who's like, I'm afraid that I can't sleep at night because of what they might do. I only have empathy. It doesn't matter what they did right or wrong or I did right or wrong in the past. It's like, you can only have empathy at that particular moment in time. And there's parents right now they're living with, you know, um, months and months and years and years of I my my child has been diagnosed with mental health conditions mm -hmm. and and they've been suicidal for five years. I'm like, how do you? I don't even know how you get through the days. Like it's challenging. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to go to that parent and say, you know what, you should toughen your kid up because that's not how it works. So it's it's in a sense moving in with surgical empathy as you're friend Dr. Mark Dr. Goulston would say and I think it's understanding that it's a challenge coming from generations where you know children are supposed to be seen not heard I'm not supposed to cry and now all of a sudden I'm supposed to have this really empathetic conversation and allow myself to be vulnerable I think let's own that that's hard and also let's own that that's what's needed in order to help my kid in order to help really anyone in our family. That's how we're going to create intimacy and closeness is by revealing parts of ourselves. Um, you've got to know your kids. So for example, when my oldest Derek, who's now 26, dropped out of school three times in the same year, I cut him off. I'm done. Go figure yourself out. Go get a job, wash dishes, pay your own bills. I'm done. You set boundaries? With boundaries, I'm like, yeah, you're done. Go figure shit out. And Derek turned out just fine. Like he hit, he hit rock bottom. I knew Derek would be fine. Would I play that same card with my daughter or my or Kyle, who's now 20? No. They they that they would not react the same way Derek reacted. But you've got to know your kids. I love that you're saying that you have to know your kids mm -hmm. for the parent who doesn't know their kids and they don't have a close relationship with their kids and they feel that their kid is very distant from them, how would you suggest them to approach getting to know their kid? Well, and again, I think I, I thought I knew Ryan too, but I didn't, right? So I'm not going to say I know how you have this all figured out by any means. I'm just looking back going, here's the things I've learned. You, you just need to, you need to take the time to talk to them more. You need to take the time to figure out what really, like if you, if you talk to parents and say, what do you really know about your kids? Like, here's an interesting question. Like, if, if you sat down, a husband and wife, or just on yourself and said, here's a piece of paper. And I haven't actually thought about this, but since you brought it up, this is actually an interesting way to do it. Write down what you really know about your kids. Mm. Like, let's make a list. What do you really know about your kids? Who are their best friends? How often do they see their best friends? What are the challenges they have with their best friends? Best friends always have fights. What do they fight about when they do fight? 
who are the who's the girl or the boy they have a crush on? Who's the last girl or boy they had a crush on before that? What's their favorite class? Why is that a favorite class? What's who's their favorite teacher and why? What's their absolute favorite TV show? What's their favorite book? What's their go through the list, right? What do they really want to be when they grow up? How much does that change in the last three months? When was the last time you asked those questions? And the biggest one is, do they actually love themselves? <laughs> it's just about that. Yeah. Like, what do we really know about our kids? Hmm. What do we really know about each other? I can, you can go through the same thing about two spouses, right? Right. Like, I've been married to my wife for 30 years, and I'm going through that list in my head going, I think I know most of it. <laughs> but do I know all of it? No, because it probably changed the last couple of years. I haven't paid attention. And be, and be careful if you forget one of those things. Well, yeah, but have, I'm going, have, the reality is... You better have a, a comfortable couch. But we, we, don't, we don't know. We, in, in an age where we're watching social media and TikToks and no one's... Everybody's on their phones. We've stopped talking to each other. I think from, from a sense of solution orientation, I think that's a great starting point for a lot of parents that are listening to this. Like, take an inventory of of what you know about your children. And I would take it even a step further and having a conversation with them and showing them this list. And like, this is, this is what I know. And, and I, and I don't know about who you are. And I would love the opportunity to connect and find out more. I mean, cause I, I feel like it's, it's a generational, it's a, it's a generational thing that keeps going back and back and back, right? It's the way that I was raised, the way that my dad and my mom were raised, they, the way that they were raised. It's like someone's got to cut that tie, right, and change it up a little bit. And I think it has to, it has to come from a place where how can I approach my child where I don't feel intimidated or scared about what they think of me, how they're going to look at me, uh, and they don't feel intimidated or scared to share and be honest and, and be forthcoming with me. And if they're not, what can I do, right? Because the fear is like, I'm going to approach you with this and they're going to say, like, screw off, mom, or I don't want to talk about this. I'm busy. And they're and on they their... Might. Right. They might. But the, the, might. Problem, the, the problem that I see is that a lot of parents are going to take that and they're going to be like, per, they're going to take it personal. And they're going to say, well, they don't love me. They don't want to talk to me. I'm not going to do this ever again because this was really uncomfortable. What kind of advice would you give a parent in that situation? So, Arthur, I think that's a, that's a really, really important point. We as parents, put, we, if we take all the energy it takes to put our best foot forward and try to have a conversation with our child. Right. Because we go, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And we say, okay, I want to talk to you about your friends. And it was so hard for us to get the, those words out because we just, we don't know what to say, right? And and then, and then the kid goes off the handle. And goes, you don't care about my friends. I'm right. not talking to you. Why are you bothering me right now? Just leave me the hell alone, blah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then we go. And and instead of reacting, maybe the way our parents would, which would have been the way wrong way to react too, is sure. where they, you know they grab the belt and they beat the crap oh, out yeah, of yeah, you, yeah. like right. That's, that's the wrong way too. But we cower and feel like we're, our feelings are hurt. And that I don't want to do that again when it was so painful. I don't want to go back at that again. As opposed to saying, okay, that didn't work. How do I, how do I reach that? How do I do that again differently? Mm. Right? How do I, how do I, I still need to have that conversation. And, and we take it so personally that they're yelling at us. When they're not yelling at you. This is, if I could give parents one little 
from all the people I've talked to and all the stuff I hear on, and even my own stuff, my own kids, right? They're not yelling at you. They don't hate you. They need you. They love you. They don't know how to show it. Mm. A lot of the times they also hate themselves. Yep. And I was just speaking with someone about this over the weekend, actually, because we were talking about my own residential treatment center and the family group that was in there. And I was in there for alcoholism and drug addiction. And I was that kid that you just presented. I was the one that was yelling and being an absolute rude person to the family. And someone outside would look at that and say, damn, she's they might go, she's a bitch. She's an asshole. And underneath, I was really hurting. Mm-hmm. And so if parents can understand that an ounce of behavior speaks a thousand words and that often anger is used as a protective way and strategy to keep people away when all they really want is just that love and closeness. You're absolutely what they, what you really wanted, I'm going to guess, is someone to love you and hold you and tell you it's going to be okay. 100%. 100%. And so... I think what Arthur said too is really important. It's a lot of this job, It's as a parent, it is the hardest job I have ever done. It is the scariest job I've ever done and, and rewarding at the same time, but also it is learning how to not take things personally. Mm. And it's going, even though they might be saying this, my kid says to me all the time, mommy, I don't love you, you don't love me anymore. And I go, okay, I hear you that you don't feel that you love me and blah, blah, blah. But it's like not taking things personally and being there with them and for them, not leaving them just because they're showing something to you, right? That might be scary. And you're going to screw up. Yeah. I mean, look, at I, I mean, I can tell you even two weeks ago, my daughter and I got into her on the phone and I'm like, you will not speak to me that way. I'm your father. And I found myself going into that. Well, I'm just going <laughs> to, if I can reach into that phone, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going, I don't care. I mean, look at, <laughs> but we're going to screw up because we're, we're, we're human beings. Right. Mm. And we're not going to say the right things and they're not going to say the right things. And we're all just trying to figure this out. But if we all just spend a little bit more time trying to understand each other, understanding that, that there's no one else is going to save us. No one's going to save your relationship. No one's going to save your kids. No one's going to save anything about you. You have to do it yourself. We have to do it for each other. I have a question going back to what you mentioned. Um, you in the in in the film, you mentioned that you had a very close relationship with your son, and it was a very friendly relationship. He considered you as a friend of his, and I think that's like the ultimate like star on top of everything that you want your kids to just love to hang out with you and 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 all that kind of stuff. You were aware, I mean, I'm, I'm making some assumptions, so please excuse me. You were aware no, and you were part of the relationship. You guys were really, really close. Do you feel that it's, I'm trying to pinpoint it so that parents have an understanding. They're like, I have a close relationship with my daughter. Is it always just bullying at school? Like, what are, what, what are some of the characteristics and some of the things from the outside world that parents who have really good relationships with their kids, what are things that they need to be aware of and on the lookout for? Mm. Is it just bullying? No, I wish it was, I wish it was just bullying. Right. I mean, I wish it was like, I wish it was something I'd say, if you just look at this, right. Then it's all solved in this little narrow niche over here. It's all solved, but there's so many cases like mine 
where someone thought they had a great relationship with their kid and found out later that child had been in so much pain and not sharing it because something was off inside their brain that was not letting them see the world the way the rest of us see the world. It's like they were seeing clouds where there's only blue skies. And so to answer your question is like, you just have to look for the changes in your kids. Mm -hmm. And when you start seeing those changes, you need to dive deeper into why those changes are happening. I saw changes in Ryan. I didn't think there was anything serious about those changes. I should have asked more questions. Mm -hmm. I should have delved deeper into what Ryan was thinking about. What is head? Why was he acting? Why was he lashing out more than he usually does? Why? I mean, instead what I do is he'd lash out at the dinner table. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? Don't do that at the dinner table. Right. right? What I should have been going is, dude, what that's. And I did like, I'd go upstairs afterwards. What was that all about? Right. Nothing. I would say bad day. Like, all right. And, but you have to just dive deeper and you can't assume, I mean, I'm not trying to be a fear monger, which is why I also started with not every kid has mental health issues. Right. Some are just using it to get out of doing their homework. Um, and that's unfortunately a reality, right? Which makes it so freaking hard to be a parent. Right. So hard to be a parent. But some that you don't see having mental health issues do. They absolutely do. And those are the scary ones. And those are the ones you have to pay, you have to just have to pay so close attention where the changes. I love that you said that because like you said, the, the world is so vast and, and complicated and diverse. It's our job is not to pinpoint the reason why it's to notice when it's happening because the reason why it doesn't make a difference. It's going to, it's happening, right? Whether it's bullying, whether it's, they are in, in, in question of, their gender, their gender upbringing, their, you know, whatever, there's just so many different reasons. I don't want to get into it, but like, if there's you, so many, there's so many that there's, uh, it's important for people that are listening that it's not about the reasons why and what's happening. Like, yes, if, if we could try to solve bullying, great, but then there's going to be something else tomorrow. Right. It's just the subtle little changes, being aware of it and just asking more deeper and intimate questions. I completely Look, I'd love to solve bullying. Yeah. We're, we're never going to solve bullying. Yeah, Bullying's been I, I know. That's the Don't say that. Don't say it. It's but that's, my hope. But that, no, but that's, that's listen, kill or be killed, right? Eat or be eaten kind of thing. We're, I mean, human, we're, human, we're human beings. beings. That's just the way that it is, right? And then there's this whole thing. It's like, let's end bullying. It's like, that's, I'm sorry. And my people might not agree with me. That's bullshit. You're never, uh, excuse my French, but you're never going to end bullying. That's the reality <laughs> of humans. You're not going to change. Rachel, I know that, I know that you would love to end bullying and I understand why you want to end bullying. And right. I think that, I think there's, but I think there's a version of ending bullying, which is showing people how to stand up to their bullies. I agree with you. I, I am very realistic of the fact that we're not going to end bullying I think we can bring more awareness into how we respond to it. And we can all stop pretending that it doesn't happen in school systems. That's what I get. Is that still a thing though? Yes. Do they, I, I thought they, they knew it. See, what I get to is like, you know, when Ryan was bullied and I remember it very clearly because we said that Darren Taylor talked about it. I'm like, what are you gonna do about it? He's like, well, they said I should go talk to the teacher and tell, I'm like, well, how's that working for you? Well, he just gets them more angry. I'm like, of course yeah. it does. Like, how about using your word? You're, you're, you're super smart and you're sarcastic. How about messing with the kid? He doesn't sound that smart. Yeah. Make fun of him publicly and see what happens. Yeah. And again, I mean, like these are all different strategies. And that's part of why regarding this 
discussion, it's I want to provide different tools and, and, and strategies for people to approach their relationships with their kids. And, you know, moving into this, we're pivoting a little bit for me around this discussion around social media and bullying, because right now to be a parent is so scary because mm -hmm. of what's going on with social media and with the bullying that's happening on social media. But also, do you feel like there's a correlation between the high suicide rates right now and technology and, and social media? And how do we, in a sense, I actually just want to have a discussion around this. Like, we're not going to take it away. The reality is we can't take away iPads and phones forever with kids. We want, our, we want to be able to communicate no, with our kids. they have two other ones stashed away underneath their mattress. And it's how we're teaching kids in schools right now. So it's almost like, what is the solution around well, that? The, the solution is, is really the same thing we've been talking about is what's the conversation you have yeah. with your kids? How do you talk to your kids about social media? How do you talk to your kids about the world? Right. Like I did a, a, the TEDx talk I did, uh, the hot lava game talks about the difference when I grew up versus Ryan grew up. Right. So when I grew up, when I was 14, there were two TV channels and you know, no one watched the news besides my dad and no one read the paper and we just played. Right. Because that's what we did. We were kids. When you take a look at kids today, They've got how many different TV channels? They got how many social media channels? They got how many Instagram accounts and how many of them you don't even know about? Um, how many people are telling them about how the world's going to end on Wednesday? How climate change is going to kill us all? How the, the war is going to? How there's going to be a nuclear war on Thursday? These kids are growing up in a world of oh my god, mm. with the same brains that I grew up with when I was 14. I couldn't process all that crap. There's no way. I didn't have to either. I didn't think about it. No, none of us did. What do we have to worry about? We got under our desk because there was going to be some kind of drill about a nuclear war, but it was never going to happen. We all chuckled like, how's getting under our desk going to do anything? That was, that was as bad as it got. So when you take a look at these kids now, how could they not be anxious? Right? When, I was, when I went to go to college, everybody went to college. It was cheap. My business partners got into UC Santa Barbara 30 years ago or 25 years ago. Um, they wouldn't get near Santa, UC Santa Barbara these days. They're not that smart. They are smart, but they didn't have the grades to go to UC Santa Barbara now. The pressure to perform as a kid, to go and like hockey was something that the, the AAA players played on the weekends and played five days a week, but the rest of us played in the yard. And now you have all these sports and all these kids are seven, eight, nine, ten years of age. We're practicing five days a week. For a scholarship their parents are putting in their head because they think they can't afford to pay for college. Mm. The pressure to be a kid and be an adult as a kid Enormous. is what's causing these problems. The social media aspect, seeing all these people whose lives are better than theirs and how do they react to that? And no one's saying, hey, little Johnny, that that kid's as messed up as you and I are. You need to, I mean, we're not doing that. We're not having those conversations with our kids the level we should. It's, it goes back to it that if you're going to start going down this rabbit hole, it's never ending and there is no solution because you got to solve the healthcare system, the schooling system, the government system. You got to find a time machine that's going to take you back to the seventies when the drugs were at least pretty good. You know I mean? You know, <laughs> it's like, it, it's impossible to find a solution for the grander scheme of things. And I'm not saying that the solution is just to throw your hands up and say, well, whatever, we'll, let's just keep going with life. I think it's just as simple as, like you said, just 
feeling comfortable in having a conversation and educating parents about how to do that and also going to schools and 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 giving the window and the door for kids to feel comfortable to have those conversations with their parents and this and, and do that simultaneously where you're educating parents at the same time you're also making kids themselves feel like it's okay we live in a day and age now where your parents are approachable and they can have a humble and empathetic conversation with you and it's not going to come from a place of judgment right i feel like if we get to that place who cares what else is happening on the outside you have a safe zone at home it doesn't matter you're gonna have you're gonna yeah you're absolutely right it comes down exactly where we started today what conversations are you having with your kids at home and do they feel safe around you to tell you whatever they need to tell you because they know they're not going to be judged and you're not going to try to fix them yeah and a a solution (laughs) is just having the perspective of thinking to yourself, maybe my kid, maybe my kid could be going through something. Maybe my kid, like a new awareness around something can change the entire experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. I know that we were obviously our focus is always, it has been on the kids, but I mean, you know, this is a conversation. Jay, I really appreciate your time because this can go on for for like six no, hours. We talk about this for yeah. hours and hours. Yeah. I mean, I. I have you seen anything or any studies or information through your journey that uh, showing a differential um, between age groups and suicidality, the geriatric population? Because that, that's that's also a large population that really nobody talks about at all. Sad. Um, you know, and obviously the the focus is kids, and 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 because it's so heart-wrenching and then it's just you know obviously but i feel like it's just as heart-wrenching if you're it's, in your 50s it's, or in your it's 60s. everywhere right? everywhere it's, not, it's everywhere right now like i said we're in the, the largest mental health crisis we've ever been in and it's like you take a look at our veterans yeah i mean and the suicide rate amongst our veterans oh um unbelievable the ptsd and the issues they have and the i mean thank god there's so many new treatments, whether it be MDMA or, or Iboga or just plant medicine journeys that these guys can go on to try and help solve some of these issues for them. Um, you just hit a trigger point for, for Rachel and I, uh, which we'll have on a different conversation. <laughs> but anyways, sorry to interrupt you. Oh, is it, okay. So well, should we carry on that one? Because Why? we can go down oh, that path oh. if you want to. Well, Jay, we for that one, we definitely need to have disclosures because we work in a very sensitive space <laughs> and again under professional guidance and supervision when you're doing these things so, i agree yes well <laughs> we're limited again, on what so we let, can let talk me, about let me put it. something straight is that and I, i've never talked about this in a podcast ever but i'm becoming a much bigger believer in the power of plant medicine to help cure and work on people's mental health conditions whether it be you know all the stuff we already know about are just simple ketamine treatments um, it's, it seems to be just changing people's lives in a way that we've never seen before. And, and, and I hope more and more people are more and more open to it. And I know you guys can't discuss it currently, but I'm not we, under your NDA. So no, no, care. you're not. No, <laughs> well, no, it's not an NDA. I think it's, it's just about, it's a very sensitive topic, especially in the recovery world. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm just going to say it again. I'm a huge proponent of, of certain, uh, outside uh, medicinal treatments with proper supervision and guidance with absolutely has to be proper supervision, a hundred percent guidance, a hundred percent. There are way too many. I'll put, I'll say it right now. 
there are way too many people in Los Angeles calling themselves shaman, dishing out <laughs> magic mushrooms on a Wednesday and a Friday, yeah. and they should be all stopped. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think it's that, important that you are talking about it, though, because, again, there will be those families that are seeking to help themselves through these really horrific tragedies that they're dealing with. And I think providing people with as many options as they can to help people is important. And, and I'm curious, for families that are going through this right now, based on your experience, what is something that you wish someone could have told you in the beginning mm, to help question. you get through those moments? The moments after you lost a child, the moments after... Is that what you're asking? I think the moments after you lost your child, yes. Yeah. Specifically to suicide. I... It's, it just takes time. Yeah. And you can't rush it. You're going to want to rush it. You're not going to rush it. It's not going to work that way. It's going to come at you randomly. It's going to come at you for years. You just learn how to live with it. And, you, and I'll tell you the big thing is that diving into a bottle and leaving your family or getting into drugs and escaping that way is not going to solve your problem. Hmm. It's not going to solve it at all. And I understand because I would have, there are many moments where I'd love to jump on a plane and go to Mexico and just die on a beach somewhere. Um, I'm glad I didn't. We're glad. I, I, I want a final question on my part because it was really cut short. I would love for you to tell me what that experience was like getting, uh, tattooed with your son's ashes <laughs> that was a really short segment and I, I wish i really got like the, you should just do a documentary about that whole piece because what was that like for you i'm glad i did it um you know and for those who life. haven't watched it what did you get and what does it mean it says uh ryan pitu singe bebe in 1104 so there's a eight Mountain Dew commercial called Puppy Monkey Baby that came out years and years ago. It's a puppy, a monkey, and a baby kind of thing. I don't know that much about it. And it's, uh, we were at the cottage up in Canada, and, and Ryan just thought it was the cutest commercial ever. And and my nieces are all French, and they said, well, in French, you got to watch it in French. It's Pitou Saint Bebe. And Ryan thought that was the craziest, funniest thing ever. So we used to just to say Pitou Saint Bebe and said, I love you, because people wouldn't know what we were talking about. And 1104 is the time I got his text. I think um, it just felt like the right thing to do. I'm glad I did it. Now, the funny story behind it all is I've been the dad that has said from day one, there's certain rules. <laughs> no tattoos. There's no tattoos. <laughs> there's no drinking and driving. There's no hard drugs. And there's no motorcycles. And as an adult, you can break those rules, I guess. But you're going to want a favor from me. And as an adult, I don't have to honor that favor. <laughs> so if you broke those rules and you're an adult, don't ask me for any favors. So here I go get it in. So the kids are watching the show and like, you got a tattoo. Yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, I'm like, uh-huh. But you had rules. I'm like, yeah, but I don't need any favors from you. <laughs> so to this day, they're like, I think yeah. a, couple, a couple of them when I got tattoos. Nice. So. Um, any motorcycles? No motorcycles, but that one will that, still stand. That's good. 
Yeah, keep, let's keep it that way. No drinking and driving, no hard drugs, and no motorcycles still stand. Yeah, tattoos the tattoos, okay. eh, well, well, we can yeah. get by. Uh, I have two final questions. One, how do you take care of your mental health today? What are your self-care habits? Mm. I guess this is three questions. And three, mm. what would you tell younger Jay 15 years, 20 years, 30 years ago? What would you tell the younger kid version of yourself? Um, so how do I take care of my mental health? Uh, I play a lot of guitar. You can see a few of them here. Couldn't tell. I have, uh, I've got creative partners. We actually have a, a an album coming out on BMG Music you know, in Mental Health Month in May nice. called Songs for the Ride Home, which is an album with 10 songs that you can listen to with your kids to spark conversations about um, their mental health. The and song that you so, were singing in the film, is that one of one of your original? No, actually, that oh. song did not make it on the album. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> These guys I'm with, you know. Oh. That was actually a really right, good. Right song. music. Yeah. That was actually really good. Thank you. Um, so I, I do a lot of that. And I honestly, I stay very busy. I work a lot. And, and people will say that's not necessarily good, but I'm, I love being productive. But you I don't work I, a lot to escape, though. No, I, I, I love being productive. We just talked about that yeah. on our previous podcast yeah. that sometimes a, a good form of self care is working if you right. love what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I don't do stuff. I don't do anything I don't want to do. So, I mean, that's, that's simple, I but I that. like being productive and, um, that's probably the best thing. You know, I like to spend time with my wife and kids and, but I, I like helping people. I like making a difference. I like, I like every aspect of my life. I mean, the only aspect of my life I wish was different was Ryan. Everything else is great. Um, and then the, the other question, the final question is what would I tell my younger self? Mm-hmm. Your kid version of you. My kid version of me. I would probably tell the kid version of me that you you could slow down and not party as much because I probably did way too much of that when I was a kid. Mm. What would you tell yourself 15 years ago? Let's say not a kid, but somewhat of an adult. 15 years ago, I'd probably tell myself not to take myself so seriously mm. because at the end of the day, none of it matters. Yeah. That's Go ahead. True. Oh God! She always wants me to close these things out, and I hate opening and closing. <laughs> well, I, and I will say one thing: like if, if there's anything I said that resonated with anybody, please go back and listen to Dr. Mark, Dr. Mark Goulston's podcast with Arthur and, and Rachel because he is a mentor of mine. He's a very smart man, and he has, and, um, he has lots of stuff that uh, you can use with your kids and with your spouses, and a lot of stuff you use in your life. Thank you for that. And can you also? just kind of go down the list of uh, websites, hotline numbers, anything where people can reach out, can find out more information. Just one more time, please. Yeah, I mean, look, the easiest place to go is tellmystory.org, tellmystory.org. And you can see some of the, the podcasts. You can see um, the most of my stuff. You'll see the new film, What I Wish My Parents Knew, is on there. If you want to see Tell My Story, the movie, it's on Amazon Prime. It's on Apple and all that kind of streaming stuff. And... You know, we're trying to make a difference. So if you can help us get uh, what I wish my parents knew into schools, please reach out. We we want more and more people to see this. That's our that's our goal. Are you connected in the in LAUSD? Not yet. Okay, you and I can have a conversation separately. Well, we apparently we have to have a lot of conversations. We, we do, we do. Well, I want to be there. 
The three you're of us. Mo- you're more than welcome. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> Jay, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on with us and um, and sharing your story and, and giving some, some peace in mind to those who are listening. Everybody who is listening, thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to having you again on our next one. Please rate, review, comment, share, like the gist and uh we'll catch you on the flip side bye everyone take care everyone thanks for listening thank you thanks Thanks, jay